Oh, hey, if you are uh, needing to head to Children's Church all the way up to uh, 4 to age 10, I believe, please follow leaders on out if you'd like to go. There we go. All right. All right. As we made our way to chapter 7, let's pause and pray. Father, again, we turn to you for help. We turn to you because we hope in you, we trust in you, we know that you desire to feed us, to give us good things, and so certainly let that um, desire have its full effect in this hour. Lord, these are always important words because they come from you, and so let us hear you in them. Teach us these things, Lord, correct us in these things. Confirm us in these things. Certainly as your spirit moves, he knows how to remind us and apply your word in ways that we can't do to one another. So we're leaning into you, trusting in you for understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We have made our way to Matthew chapter 7. And everyone's favorite verse in the scripture, judge not that you be not judged. Or I like the way that the uh, Legacy Standard Bible or the New American Standard puts it. Uh, I think maybe even the NIV says it this way, do not judge so that you will not be judged. Now, We're going all the way to verse 6 because we're trying to understand this most talked about, often quoted part of Scripture that is often used to correct believers from maintaining a standard of holiness. We're trying to understand exactly what Jesus means so that we're clear when it comes to truth, when it comes to holiness, when it comes to how we are to interact and engage with one another inside the church and outside the church, how we do that faithfully and properly so that holiness is maintained. And I guess the subtitle to this message, if you have to have one, um, would be Becoming Internal Loggers. Because the, the goal here, uh, I think, and I think that's the, that's the focus of Jesus here in this passage, is that first and foremost, we would be of the nature to self-examine often and not be characterized by how we examine others. And we'll get into the nuances of, of the words that Jesus uses to communicate that. But, but we are to understand that judgment here uh, in these verses, especially in verse 1, uh, denotes a, a, a sort of a, a, a critical opinion of others. Especially in light of the fact that you may be of the same uh, condemnation as those that you are judging. And that would be a huge problem. That would be hypocritical. And that would be something that People like to accuse the church of Jesus Christ as being hypocritical. And a lot of times they're right, which is a problem. They shouldn't be right. 
Now, are we going to able or be able to be 100% non-hypocritical all the time? No. But do we want that to be um, characteristic of us as his people? No. And we don't want to be those critical, opinionated people. Because we understand something in the gospel. We understand that all men, including women, are condemned before God. We all have a level playing field as far as sin goes. No one's worthy. No one seeks after God. Everyone seeks his own way. You can find that in Romans 3. So it's no surprise to us, or should be no surprise to us, uh, that human beings sin. Or even, in fact, inventors of evil, the Bible calls them. Now, that doesn't mean that we accept that. That doesn't mean that we understand grace to say that everything is okay and we don't have to deal with it. That's not what we're talking about either, as we'll get into that. But we are saying that there is uh, something about our sin that can be dealt with. There's, there's something about the problem that occurs by the fact that we exist under a holy God that can be remedied. And so we're focused on the gospel, working itself out in our lives, and then having hope that it will work itself out in other people's lives, and praying and encouraging to that end. And when it is necessary, dealing with sin inside the church so that the name of Jesus Christ isn't polluted as it goes forth from here. Um, we understand that those outside the church already stand condemned. Like all men outside of Jesus Christ, condemnation is the, uh, is the place that you exist. Only in Christ is that condemnation dealt with, is it, is it put on him and done away with from you. But we're looking at verse 1 here and trying to understand what this means. Is it a blanket statement that means don't ever um, uh, call out or recognize sin in others? And we're going to say no. Well, does it mean, what does it mean exactly? And so number one, we need to recognize that even though if you take verse 1 out of context and on its own and it tells you to judge not, we understand that there are times in Scripture that you are required to judge. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13, Paul says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. You have to get a, a, a theology of sin inside the church from the Bible. When I use the word theology, I'm talking about a study of God. So when I'm saying a theology of something, I'm saying, what do we know God says about something or someone? So when we are talking about those inside the church that we judge, it's not that we're forming this kind of critical, self-opinionated view of somebody because of their sin. 
it is that we recognize a, a distinct evil here in the midst of people that proclaim to be living uh, according to the Spirit of God in pursuing holiness, and something is very um, off with that in someone's life, to the point where they may be in danger of being separated from God from all eternity because what they are communicating is not that they are in Christ, but they, they are outside of Christ, and that concerns people. That should concern brothers and sisters inside the church. So we're not taking joy in judging those inside the church. We're not, we're not police trying to uh, find the bad guy in our midst. We are simply recognizing where problems come up and hopefully dealing with them in a way that will win that person back to holiness. So uh, Matthew 18 would be that chapter, that passage where people deal with this a lot from and so in Matthew 18 you're 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 seeing transgression or gross evil or immorality coming from a brother or sister inside the church and you are given steps and how to hopefully restore that person to holiness and if not if all else fails you are to go back to the gospel with them and plant seeds and pray for their salvation. Not naming them as brother or sister, but seeking after them as a lost sheep. So we are required to make judgments. But we're not supposed to be a critical, opinionated people, especially in light of being guilty of the very same things that we're maybe dealing with in others, and we'll get into that in a minute. But if you parallel this passage with a similar passage in Luke 6, verse 37 through 42, you get a little bit more uh, context or explanation of how to view this. So he says in Luke 6, 37 through 42, he puts it this way, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of that is in your brother's eye. Verse 2 of chapter 7, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Matthew 7, 2, the unit that you use to quantify or count something will result in the way that you are judged. So the critical way that you uh, view others, the overly critical, the hypercritical, without taking into account your own sin or your own needs or your own uh, lack of holiness in your own heart, will be the measure that is given to you to be judged with. 
In other words, if you're a hypercritical person, you can expect for that to follow you. You can expect for that, uh, for God to use that to measure you, both in this life and the one to come. There will be a lack of grace for you. There'll be a lack of mercy for you. There'll be a lack of patience for you. These are very real warnings, because Jesus says in verse 2, it will be measured to you. So you, you are to be careful. You, you, do, you, you are affecting how others relate to you. You are affecting even the judgment that God would use with you. So we're to be careful. But in being careful requires that self-examination. Verse 3, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? So we're, we love to be critical. We love to be hypercritical. But we don't love to be those that are very introspective, those that are looking at our own hearts very often. Romans 2.1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And these are what? Hypocrites. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you'll escape the judgment of God? Do you think God is unaware who you are and what you do? What exists in your heart when you condemn it in other people? Do you think just because something is visible in someone's life but not visible in yours that you're okay? You are, I am, laid bare before the word of God at all times. We are hiding nothing. There is a nakedness that you have before God unlike any other person. He sees everything. He knows the words before they hit your lips. He knows what's in your hearts. Even Jesus displayed that while he was here. So we think we are propping ourselves up as holy when we are being critical of other people, yet that's impossible because God knows. And he's not about to fall for the charade that we put on. James 2.13, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Again, we have to remember the gospel in order to remember what kind of unit of measure we have been judged with. We have to remember the abundant mercy and grace that's been bestowed upon us when we did not deserve any such thing. And therefore, and the patience that even God shows us now as we grow in Christ so that we can give that to other people. If you don't meditate on, on how God is so long-suffering with you, how he never fails in his loving kindness toward you, although you fail him often, then you'll never be able to communicate that to other people. You'll never be able to exist in that light if you don't understand the way that he communicates to you, with you. And so you will become self-righteous. You will become a hypocrite. You will try and make yourself appear, appear holier than other people because that's the only way you're going to feel any sort of righteousness. 
But if your righteousness comes from Jesus as a free gift, then you don't feel any weight to gain your own righteousness. You're aware of your weakness, and you understand that any overcoming of that weakness would be the strength of God in your life, and therefore you know it's outside of yourself. So when you look at other people, and they are displaying weaknesses and sin or the flesh, then you know and have hope that God can do the same thing for them that he's doing for you. And you don't become critical. You become hopeful for other people. That the power of God can work in them as he's working in you, and you don't take any credit or any pride of being more righteous or holy than someone else, you become benevolent in grace and mercy because it's been given to you benevolently. So we, it's, it's, it's not that we will never judge. It's that it's about the unit of measurement or the standard by which we judge. And do you live up to that standard? And, and what is your motive for judging, right? It's, it's so you feel better about yourself, then don't judge. So we want to become these internal loggers. God has judged the sin of the believer and met out that sentence on Jesus. You have been shown mercy. And think about this. Does God have even a speck in his eye? Yet he patiently endures with mercy and grace and forgiveness as his people grow in holiness. So he is dealing with us in that way, though there is no log, there is no speck, there is no such thing in his eye. He is so gracious. In verse 3, when he says, why do you see the speck? That word see means to perceive with sight. It's just like you see it, right? You see something. And then when he says, but do not notice, the log that's in your own eye, that word for to not notice is to fail to clearly see with eyes and mind. To, to fail to perceive with your whole being what's going on with you. In other words, it's like you don't pay any attention to your own heart, to your own life, and you just surface level judge people around you. Not okay. We are to be so introspective about who we are, and we'll get into that in a little bit, um, self-examining our hearts, testing our hearts daily to see if we be in the faith. And so he goes on to say, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Um, I had a buddy of mine send me something kind of funny, although it was mostly sad. Um, from supposedly one of the greatest preachers in America today. And he was telling his people to not smoke cigarettes because they're bad for you and they'll cause cancer and all the stuff that we know about cigarettes. And then he says, now, I know that you guys know I smoke cigars, but 
that's cool. So, and then he went right past it, like right, right in front on, from a pulpit. He said this and then <laughs> moved on. And so that's exactly the example that we're talking about. We, we have to be so, if you can't even recognize that you're guilty of the very same things that you're condemning, you got big problems. And listen, we can all end up there from one time or another. Um, you know, every, every time that we are seeking to help or correct a brother or sister in the faith that has transgressed in some way, you have to be meditatively, prayerfully, introspectively careful. Galatians 6.1 Brothers, if anyone is caught in tran any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. How? In a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Hypocrites profess beliefs they do not adhere to, so that they can conceal motives and identity. But those who are of a gentle spirit and humble in that spirit and recognize the weakness that exists in them to fall into such temptations that they condemn in other people will seek to correct in a spirit of gentleness, careful with what could happen to both of their souls. And it's hard to be, and I keep using this word introspective, but it's necessary. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? What's the test? Do I grieve unholiness within myself more than I grieve it in other people? Am I glad to see unholiness in other people so that my unholiness doesn't look as bad? Sometimes all of us have to answer yes to that. But in your heart of hearts, are you, are you deeply concerned about that unholiness which, which shows itself in your own heart? Is the love of Christ growing in you? Are you seeking and desiring the kingdom first? Do you have a genuine interest in, in the blessed holiness and growth in Christ Jesus in other people as much as in yourself? You, you have to ask these questions at often unless you start getting too proud of yourself. You have to bring everything back into line. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you, has, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, that meditation that you'll have on examining your heart is the work of the Spirit in you to root out those things that don't belong anymore. 
David asked for this in Psalm 51, if you read it carefully. He's asking that God would find any unclean way in him and make it known to him. You ask for that? Do you want to know? <laughs> we don't often want to know. I find that more and more, that, that people don't want to know how much wickedness uh, exists in their heart. Because it, it's hard, right? It hurts. It's, uh, it's ugly. Like, I don't want to know how out of shape I really am sometimes. But I can't deny it. It's there, so why don't we just do something about it? And, and here's, the, here's the good news part of this, right? God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins when you confess them to him. He is so patient with his loving kindness. He will complete the work that he began in you. He will get you where you need to go. So you can always return to him and say, Lord, I'm seeing this awful, wicked thing in me. He says, yeah, I know. So let's, let's move away from that. Here's how. So it is crucial that we see our own sin clearly, our own sin clearly, with our whole being that we perceive the log in our eye clearly. Why? Number one, because you have to kill it. John Owen says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That means there is a daily battle, right? There is. And that comes from Romans 8. We are those who live according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. And do we not want to live? And we're talking about more than just temporary earthly life. We're talking about eternal life. And if, you're, if that is more characteristic of you than sinning, putting to death the deeds of the body, then you are being prepared. That's evidence that you are being prepared for eternity in perfect glory and holiness. <coughs> Number two, we're to see our own sin clearly so that we can help others. Part of, of the instruction that Paul gives to comfort those with the comfort that you've been comforted with is when you deal with a certain sin or when the Lord deals with it in you, then you know the way or the, the truth or the promises to overcome that and can help other people with that. They get maybe in the same pitfall that you already went through on the road and you can say, oh yeah, I was there, let, 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 let me show you how you overcome that and how you stay out of that. Because we're humble enough to admit that I might fall right back into that. Right? We just read that in Galatians 6.1, lest you be tempted to. Be careful. But we got to see that so that we can kill it and then we can help others kill it. So, Verse 6 is part of this because the helping others part. What if they don't respond? What if they don't want it? What do we do with those that don't want gospel help? Assuming 
that we're bringing correction and help with gentle humility and not self-righteousness, not being critically opinionated over some minor issue, but we're genuinely concerned about something that might display that they aren't even on the narrow way. It says in verse 6, directly following this example of the log and the speck. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this. The word for speck is like sawdust. The word for log is like a beam that is structurally important to the house. So <laughs> that's, that's the context of what we're talking about. You see somebody, you, you hear a brother that maybe had a slip of the tongue and said a cuss word, and yet you're looking at porn every night? I mean, what are we talking about? Anyways, verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What in the world is that verse about? Well, I, I think, and I'm always reminded of this when I read verse 6, um, you are not ever required to go where fools go. You're not ever required to go with the fool, to go with the disobedient, where they are going. That's not being gracious and kind and patient. You don't go with them into sin. So I'm always reminded of Proverbs 26, 4 through 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So there is time for correction, and there is time to do not go with the fool. But what we're talking about here in context are these dogs and these pigs. So we're trying to figure out, okay, if I'm going to understand verse 6 in this context, who or what are dogs? Well, Philippians 3.2 says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So we see in that context that there are those outside of the faith who want nothing to do with the faith. Or in Revelation 22.15, outside... This would be outside of the New Jerusalem. <clears throat> outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. That would be everybody apart from the gospel. Okay, The, the, the gospel is the only thing that transforms and makes us part of the kingdom. <clears throat> so if that hasn't happened, then you're outside of the kingdom and you're considered one of these. Dogs in the ancient world and still in parts of the world today are these uh, scavengers, unclean scavengers, kind of even thieves in a way. They're just looking for whatever they can get their hands on, no matter whose it is or where it is, and they'll just take it. Now what about the pigs? Who are the pigs? Well, in Scripture, pigs aren't ever really seen as a good thing, are they? They taste good, but they're not ever seen as a good thing. They're unclean animals. They eat slop. They scavenge. So we've kind of got the same thing here. We're, we're, we're seeing that dogs and pigs are unclean things. Things that don't even desire to be clean. So what's the pearls then? We know what holiness is. What about pearls? Matthew 13, 45 through 46. Again, 
The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So, it's the kingdom. It's, it's, it's all that encompasses the kingdom. It's all that goodness and holiness and, and love and wisdom and perfection. and It's all of that. And so, do not give what's holy to dogs and do not through, throw pearls before pigs. What is he saying? He's saying those that adamantly reject the good news of the kingdom of God are to be left until or if God so ordains they receive the gospel. You are not called to continue to share the gospel with people that adamantly reject it. Move on. Move on. You, you, you can't even bring correction to somebody who doesn't want correction. Move on. This is, this is the pattern of the apostles. Acts 13, 46, And Paul and Barnabas spoke up boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. He's talking to the Jews. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Acts 18, 6, And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Titus 3, 10 through 11, As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. You, you, you can't make somebody live a holy life. You can't make anybody repent. You, you, you can't make anybody be saved. So no amount of arguing or debating is going to accomplish that. God's going to accomplish that. And if he's not working right there on that person after a faithful amount of attempts, move on. You are not the way that that person is going to be saved or corrected, obviously. That's not to say that they won't ever be. That's to say that somebody waters, somebody plants, but God gives the growth. Stop thinking that you are responsible for everybody that you encounter salvation and holiness. You're not. You know, you know I, as a pastor, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep if I believed that. I wouldn't. I, I would feel like I had to make everybody a zealous Christian 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But sometimes you have to move on. And Jesus says this himself in Matthew 10, 14. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. You know, so there's an example in real time as the apostles, the disciples are sent out two by two to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel and if people reject that, then they're to leave and move on. That person isn't going to be saved today. Should that break your heart? Yep, it should. But should that cause you to feel like you failed? No. 
but it should break your heart. So we, we can only do what we can only do. So go proclaim the gospel. Be faithful in it. Be discerning in it. If God is not working on that person at that time, then move on. He has other um, assignments for you. So in, if you want to put all this together, let's say it like this. Be like your Father in heaven, who is merciful, forgiving, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, patient, enduring with those who are truly in the faith, and be discerning about those who reject the kingdom of God and move on to share and proclaim the kingdom of God to others. Whether that be in words of correction about what the kingdom should look like in their life, or whether that be just simply about being part of the kingdom. If it is adamantly rejected, then move on. I want to look at Romans 14 in closing just because I think it, it puts a it, it brings this to light as we relate to one another in the church we don't want to pass judgment to be critical that is not allowed in scripture we are told to restore brothers and sisters, and if they do not want to be restored, then we are not to continue with them in, a king, in the kingdom, because they're not in the kingdom. But Romans 14, 13 through 19, Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Skip down to chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him you see, we are not the browbeating type of, of critical Christians who want to point out how people are failing within the church and just kind of scoff at that. We want to recognize where holiness is not present first in our own hearts and then in the hearts of brothers and sisters and gently bring them along the way with us. You have an obligation to bear with the sins of your brothers and sisters. Insofar as you are able to help and they are willing to take correction. If one of those two things are not present, stop and move on in the right direction. 
So that, I believe, is the context of judge not so that you will not be judged. There is a measure involved. There's a hope involved. And there is a realization of how judgment from God has come to us. Sin to God is black and white. He is the only perfect judge. We are given the scriptures to be able to delineate and to understand what holiness looks like. But we can't make the final call. We can help. We can examine our own hearts. We can deal with a personal, personal holiness that is to be growing day by day. That's our command. It's to deal with yourself. So, if you have a church that is full of people who are um, examining their hearts, then I think you will have a gracious, kind, patient people. A place where other sinners can come find help and hope and encouragement. But, but you and I both know that it's very, very easy to just be critical and not patient. But who is Jesus again? Who is he? And how is he dealing with you as one of his? And that'll help you. That will help you know how to deal with others. So um, pray in light of how the word of God has spoken to you, and then we'll stand and sing together.